This is the Doddcast. I'm your host, Nathaniel Dodson. In today's podcast, I sat down with Jaleel King, a photographer from right here in Philadelphia. To say that Jaleel has had a life a little different than the rest of us would be a bit of an understatement. Jaleel's photography is predominantly a street-style photography from his very own unique angle using his own style. In our discussion, Jaleel and I dive deep into his life story, how he was shot and almost killed as a young child in a random act of violence, his optimistic outlook on life while working with the unique set of challenges he's been dealt, his search for love, some of his favorite camera gear and his transition from Canon to Sony and some of his thoughts with regard to that, an unlikely trip to Australia, and we even spend a few minutes discussing gun control. We pretty well cover all the bases on this, the second episode of the Doddcast. So I think we're rolling. We are rolling. Welcome into the Doddcast. It's my podcast where I talk about stuff that I want to talk about with people that are cool. And today we've got Jaleel King. Jaleel, thanks for being on the show, man. I appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me. I hope I am <clears throat> cool enough to be here. <laughs> well, with, with a last name like that, I wonder how you don't, you don't uh, think you're royalty all the time. <laughs> oh, man. I try not to let it get to my head. But, I, you know, people like to call me the king. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I like to think there will only ever be two kings on my podcast. Larry King. And Jaleel King. There we go. <laughs> the only two kings worth <laughs> worth giving a darn about. Here we go. So, so walk me through, if you don't mind. The first thing, obviously, people are going to notice when they sit down and watch. You're a photographer. Right. Passionate about photography, the whole bit. What's what's the story with the wheelchair? What happened? How did you get there? I'm sure you're sick of telling the story, um, but give it to me if you, you could. You know, the crazy thing is, is like, it, it's never... It's never like, you know, you never get sick of it. It just is what it is as mm-hmm. far as I'm concerned. You know, it's the uh, proverbial elephant in a room. So it's like, why, you know, instead of uh, shying away for it, you know, from it rather, might as well just embrace it. Mm. So I like to have fun with it as much as possible personally. But, you know, um, some people, you know, figure it out. Yeah, I've heard but, you say i got to find a girl who's willing to push me around. Yeah, you know what I mean? You know, i got to find me a girl who, is, uh, who likes a man she can push around. So, you know what I mean? And if nothing else, she, at least she's always got to ride everywhere she goes. Yeah. So, you know, exactly. one of those kinds of situations. But for me, like, you know, um, you know the story I, I, you know, I, I have the most fun with when I tell them is about the time, you know, my mom had took me to a circus and thought it was a great idea for me to ride the elephant. And the elephant decided to give me a hug with its trunk and broke my little back. <laughs> and the last thing I remember is them shooting the elephant. And that's why I was in a wheelchair. <laughs> and then you see people's faces like, holy shit, like, that, did that really happen? It's like, nah, but if it did, it would have been really sad that they killed the damn elephant. You know what I mean? So, like, but, you know. My, my then, back, no big deal. Yeah, no big deal. You know what I mean? But, uh, no, you know, when I was eight years old, um, you know, I was outside playing with firecrackers, which, you know, uh, some of, you know, some of my friends, we had an adult light and firecrackers, and a man decided to come outside with a sawed-off shotgun, and for whatever reason, you know, I took off running in one direction, and the last thing I heard was a shot go off, and I woke up in the hospital paralyzed. Hmm. When something like that happens, you're eight years old, mm-hmm. so you have a pretty vivid memory of what happened? Um, yeah, out of everything that I can remember, it's part of the reason why I'm a photographer because my memory sucks. <laughs> but that I do remember. Like, it, like that, it's kind of like one of those things that's just kind of ingrained. I kind of remember even most of what I did that day, which is kind of strange. 
yeah, it was kind of, it's bizarre to think about. Because I've had people tell me, um, you know, if you think about it, there was one day that your parents picked you up and put you down and never picked you up again. But you had the, you had the unfortunate opportunity to, like, that was the last day that, because you, you're paralyzed from what, the waist down? Right. Is that correct? Right. I mean, so, incomplete paralysis, so I still have some feeling emotion below my waist. Oh, okay, okay. So, so the fact that you can remember what happened that day is kind of this, man, because you were old enough to remember it. Right. And that's, that's kind of strange. Do you, have, do you find yourself, I don't, know how to, I don't know how to ask the question. Like, I, 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 I find that when, when there are people who you run into who either lose a limb or multiple limbs or deal with a paralysis in, in this way or that way, they tend to be very effusive and they have this gratitude that it's kind of like if anybody should be miserable in this life, you kind of – you got a bad lot, so to speak. And so how do you deal with it? Like because you, you obviously remember what it was like to have legs. Like I mean you still have legs, but you, you remember I mean, what it was to – be, To be able to walk and run and things yeah. like that. I mean like nowadays for me, those kinds of things are like a distant memory. Mm. You know what I mean? And it's, it's kind of weird because sometimes in my dreams I still can walk and run and stuff like that. You know what I mean? And, I, you know <laughs> – you know, it's like I came to a realization of why I play so many video games. It's because that's the only place that I can fucking do all that shit. <laughs> that's so funny, but like so sad at the same, <laughs> same time. time. You, you know what I mean? That, I could right. go, you know, running around beating the shit out of people in video games, you know, that I couldn't really do here, you know. Well, I saw you out in the hallway, right? Mm. And this is, this is the kind of thing that like strikes me. There's an extension cord across the way. You had to wheel your wheelchair and pop, like just bump over it. Right. I so take for granted just being like, well, you just step right over step it. Step right it's over just it. Plain as day. It's, it's like taking a breath. I mean, but that's the. I mean, I, I think that's the thing that makes. When it's one of these things, I like to you know, I I, I like to think that um, when you are kind of at the bottom, there's nowhere else but to look. But mm. you know what I mean, and so. We take for granted. It makes it a lot easier for you to kind of be a little bit more fair about things, of how things should be, you know, why these things should be fair. And, you know, you understand that not everything's going to be fair, but you can make things a lot easier. And so what that said is we all take for granted something. I mean, you know, I've been in situations where I've taken some things for granted. Of course. Um, but, we gotta, but we ultimately learn to not take them for granted or appreciate them a little bit more. And with that said, it's one of those situations is like, you know, you notice that now, but there's a lot of people who don't have uh, friends who have disabilities. Mm. And so with that said, you don't notice X, Y, and Z until you're with somebody who has that. And all of a sudden now you're more pissed yeah. Than the person who's dealing with this shit because right. you realize like wait why is this not like this and why is this like that and right you've gone through it a hundred times I've gone so through it a hundred times right. so it's for me it's just like mm-hmm. eh, it's whatever you know what I mean but at the same time then it gets into these situations where you start feeling like you don't want to be inconveniencing people so you know what I mean and I deal with that when I go out sometimes and you know we got to catch a cab and a cab's not wheelchair so we've got to wait around and I feel bad that my friends are waiting around because mm-hmm. of me you know what I mean so there, there's always some aspect of it that kind of you think about, you know what I mean? But wow. Okay. That makes sense. Now did you, so this happened when you were eight Mm -hmm. and you talked, you just a moment ago said, you know, you kind of, there's this almost yearning for justice and you understand this, uh, you understood the concept of that, I guess I should say at a younger age. So it was something, you know, what, what were you like as let's say a 15 year old kid? Like what was 15 year old Jaleel like? Were you getting into photography then? Did you have hobbies? What, what what was life like then? I mean, at 15 or 16 or 17, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I was in foster care. Okay. At that time, 
Um, and so, you know, I lived outside of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a good foster mom. And, you know what I mean? Um, and I think she tried to provide the most balanced situation for me as possible. So it was interesting. It's just, you know, but I was in a location that I wasn't necessarily familiar with. Uh, for me, it was like my first experience directly with racism. You know what I mean? Being called, you know, a nigger. Just for the simple fact of being, for no other reason than being, it wasn't like I was being nasty or mean to people. We start like the whole thing that wasn't what it was. Mm. But right. the cool thing about it is that despite that, I had a lot of people who kind of counterbalanced that, and a lot of that counterbalance came from people that you least likely expected. So I right. think that was helpful. Um, I was into trains. I'm still a big train. I, I did see in your bio you said something about a railroader, yeah, I'm and a, I'm like, I what, love what does that mean? I, I'm, you know, I, you know, I used to collect you know, HO trains, you know what I mean? But I have an apartment and my apartment is price smaller <laughs> than this room we're in right now. And so I have no room to set up any of that stuff, uh, but you know, I've transformed that into being more of a digital side. So now all my trains are in the computer and stuff like that. Little so, railroad tycoon. Yeah. Every, you know, every so often I, you know, break out a, you know, run, you know, a little time consuming, but you know, you break out a run. It was one of those things I used to do. I mean, I, I remember before I got shot, I was going to say sometimes some things happen to slow your ass down. <laughs> But I remember when I was maybe five, six years old before I moved to where I was living at, Mm -hmm. I used to walk the train tracks in South Philly. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) And, you know what I mean? And one day the train came by, and I didn't even hear it creeping up because it was an electric train. Oh, shoot. And, you know... And I finally noticed it. And, I, you know, I'm short as it is. And so you imagine this little six-year-old, mm. five, five, six-year-old kid. My mom my mom gave me a lot of freedom. I'm not going to hold you. I, I had a lot of freedom, and I did what the hell I That's cool. I, that's, that might be part of what where the creativity comes from, yeah. too. And I just remember going to the side of the tracks in time when his train was coming. Mm. And it was a GG1. And so if anybody ever looks up a GG1, it's it's it was probably like one of the – Second to the last major American electric fast. locos. Fast, it's, too, it's right? fast, but they were using it on a freight run. It used to be a passenger oh, okay. train. The train was built in like the 1920s, like ni- late 1920s. Oh, but shoot. It was, wow. It's very, it's a very distinct locomotive, and it's very huge. Mm. And so you know, I'm like this big. You know, if you, it, it was just Try, trying to get off the tracks. It's like looking at a dinosaur. I mean, like it yeah. just. And then with a yeah. the horn, did it have a horn? Like, it had a horn. I'm pretty sure I heard the horn, but as the train was coming by, it just it was just one of these things. I was still a small kid, but it's the most impressive thing I, I think I can ever remember. And to this day, it's still my favorite train. It's my favorite locomotive. Yeah, just well, because it's just like, yo, I was like, wow. Yeah, I had a brush with that one. Yeah. Yeah, the the, the train horn and the, the airplane taking off are the only two sounds, I think, that you can feel. You can feel. <laughs> you can feel the displacement of air. Oh, yeah. That's, that's kind of wild. So talking about your mom, uh, was she still around yeah, when you went? Yeah, my mom's still around. So what was, if you don't mind talking about it, what was the deal with the foster care? So Was it the situation changed so rapidly? It, it changed really rapidly for her. Um she didn't get the help that I think she needed in, mm. in ways that uh, should have been provided. But I also think that there was a lot of um, – there were – I mean, like, it, it's kind of weird because it's like I'm talking from her perspective and it's just, you know, my from my perspective, I know right. that she didn't get the help that she needed. You mm. know, um, there was a church that came in and said they would help me and my mom out after I got shot. And 
they were related to the man who shot me. And my biggest problem with them was that, not that they, you know, they really didn't do much in my eyes, but the problem I ultimately had with this church was that uh, they didn't do anything for my mother. Mm. And when I went to go confront the, um, the pastor of the church, you know, he was like, you know, well, last time I heard you were doing good, and, you know, this was this and this. And this. It's like, dude, do you realize I've been in foster care for the past three years? Right. You haven't talked. You haven't called my mother. No one said anything. Hey, Sister King, are you okay? Do you need something? And I think that's the shit that just pissed me off the mm. most. You know what I mean? It's, it's not what you didn't do for me. It's what you didn't do for my mother when she needed it. And for you guys not to send somebody to help her out or to at least make sure she was okay. And my mom, you know, she went through some stuff. You know what I mean? With, you know, um, you know, some um, substance abuses and stuff like that. So it wasn't easy. You know what I mean? And she also had her own shit that she technically mm. was dealing with from her past. So, so you guys have a good relationship, though? We have a, yeah, we have a, I mean, that's my mom. You know, yeah. she, you know, she gets on my nerves. <laughs> I mean, but, yeah, gets on your nerves, but at the same time can do no wrong. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, I, I love my mom. You know what I mean? We, yeah, there's nothing more to really be said about that. Mm. You know what I mean? She made decisions that she thought were right. And, you know, in a lot of ways, um, I think she made good decisions that ultimately benefited my outlook. You know, um, with being more explored, you know, being being able to explore life a little bit differently. Yeah. You know, yes, there are indeed uh, struggles and challenges, but at the same time, I can either let them define me or I can define it. Yeah, and, that's, that's awesome. You know what I mean? And I'd be lying if I said I never had issues where I'm like, yeah, of course, oh, man. Fuck this, I'm not doing this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just from the sense of, like, you know, I don't want to be bothered because of the disability mm. or I don't want to inconvenience somebody because of the whole disability thing. It's, it's just the nature of the beast sometimes. And there's some people out here who says, you know, <clears throat> zero fucks given in relations to how you feel about things. Well, it's interesting, too, that you say that because it's kind of like the normal effort that sort of the rest of us would have to give to do a certain thing. Right. You have to go a little above and beyond, kind of no matter what it is. And I understand right. it might be, you, you know, whatever, you know, take it or leave it, but you seem like you're being pretty humble about the situation. And, it, you know, it's the kind of thing where, I don't know, I mean, maybe it's, it's easy to say because I'm not in a wheelchair, right. but it seems like it would be a very difficult thing to kind of get used to and adjust to. And you're still out being a photographer on top of right. it. Right. It, it, listen, you know... Life is always what we make it. You know what I mean? I know people who have zero things wrong with them, and they walk around more disabled than I do. Mm. You know, um, and it, and it's just a reality. Like I, I see people, and I'm just like, dude, you're like you know, you know how how many people would love to be in your position right now? You got it made. You got it made, or I would love to be have your fucking problems. You know what I mean? Like you know, and I mean like. You know, I, I keep it real, man. Like, you know, for me, there's this is why when people say, well, are you mind talking about it? I, I don't because it just is what it is. And the more I talk about it, the more okay I become with myself. And it's like, yeah, it happened young, but there still doesn't take away from the fact that there are things that I feel as though personally I may never have behind it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? For me, you know, I don't know whether I'll ever have children. You know, I would love to be a father. I don't know whether I'll ever be in a, a relationship that's, allows me to be married. You know what I mean? Like, these are the things that people take for granted in a lot of ways. And then there's the shit that, like, people ought to embrace in different ways. And it's just the same idea. It's just like when you notice that I had to, you know, do a little willy over over a court. That's just so, you know, you don't see a crip, you know, tripping out of his wheelchair. That's the funniest shit ever. <laughs> you know, and I've done that before where, you know, I'm trying to impress somebody and I, he says, you know, I got this, I got this. Go do a pop wheelie to go down a couple steps and boop, right out the damn wheelchair. <laughs> Gotta laugh at yourself. But... 
there, like I said, there are things that we notice because we're in it, and there's things that we'll never notice because we're not in it. It's the mm. same idea when people say what they hate or what they don't like about X, Y, Z people. Pick anything. It's because we don't know somebody who's been in those situations. We we can't empathize. We are built to empathize. We are built to be connected. We are built to to embrace. We're a social creature. We're not meant to be hateful and. That's a possibility, but those are the things that happen that are outside of social norms, no matter where you go. Yeah, and there is there is that extraordinary, extraordinarily powerful um, feeling, I guess you could call it, when you're able to actually put yourself in somebody else's position, like actually, and not say what do I think they feel, but what would I feel? Not right. what would I think, but what would I feel? Do I feel scared? Do I feel hopeless? Do I feel like everybody around here is out to get me? Right. You know what I mean? That kind of situation. I think that's very hard for a lot of people to do. It, it is. And I mean, but you sometimes you have to because you have a better understanding of what people get through. And things are not clearly black and white. And there are things that people clearly do to survive in the struggle. And we don't always agree with, but I mean, like, yo, sometimes you take a chance to talk to people. You're like, all right, I understand. Mm. I don't have to like it. But I understand it a little bit better. Right. You know what I mean? And so it's the same thing, like, you know, going back to that, you know, the situation. And, you know, like I said, if you don't have somebody in your life that's, you know, in a similar situation, there are a lot of things that you overlook. And then, you know, it's the thing is, like, you know, when, you know, I'm out with my friends and we're, we're going someplace and they're like, yeah, Jalil, so, oh, totally forgot because now got to go up some stairs or, you know, and they're not thinking about the stairs. It's like, all right, we got you. And like, ah, do I really want to? I've been in situations where I'm like looking and it's just like flights of stairs and I don't, you know, people can't see how high these ceilings are, but can you imagine a, a, a flight of steps hmm. that are this high and, and, and having somebody say, we got you. And it's just like, Oh, right. Yeah. Man. My life is in your hands. My life is in your hands, but damn it. Am I inconveniencing you? Oh, okay. Gotcha. You know right. what I mean? But now at the same time for me personally, I have to really keep saying to myself, people are doing this because they want you there. People are okay with this because they like being around you. Yeah, dude, who wouldn't want to be around right. you? Well, you know, <laughs> right now, ladies, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. So tell me a little bit about, like, um, what does your mom think about the photography? Was she there when you started getting into photography? How did um, all that happen? So so the crazy thing about it is, it's like, you know, my mom and my dad, to be perfectly honest with you, were both kind of artists in their own way. Okay. You know, I mean, they, they kind of had a feel for it. You know, my dad being an engineer and then my mom, she went to school for doing some photography. She had some some paint stuff. You know, she did some painting. And I, and I definitely remember as a kid I was into, you know, into the arts, you know. Um, but ultimately what ended up happening is my mom's friend, Mr. Benny, had came over to my house one day. Mm. And I had showed him a couple of pictures that I had taken. And he was like, oh, this is nice. You know, he says, you like photography? It's like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm liking it, but... You know, I only have this camera, and at the time it was like a little Kodak point-and-shoot <laughs> camera. Dick. Yeah, you know what I mean? Listen, we're still talking film days. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I started with film. I, You know, now I'm not the guy who goes into the dark room and <laughs> develops his own shit, but we're talking about film. And he says, oh, okay, well, you know, come on, let's go. This is where we're going. We're going to go to my house. So we drove to his house, and he ate. I don't know. I, I think I went in his house. I'm pretty sure he took me in. And he had came downstairs with a bag and opened it up and, you know, it was a Canon AE-1 programmed and some, mm-hmm. you know, FD lenses and stuff. Very he cool. says, like, yo, now you got a better camera. You can go ahead and use this. How old were you at this point? Mm. Maybe 23. Okay, so you're in your 20s? Yeah, I was in my early 20s. That's really cool. And what kind of stuff did you go out and shoot right away? Um, I shot a lot of street stuff because it was easy. You just kind of, like, I didn't have a car at the time and it just kind of just... 
You roll up on someone. Roll up on something and just snap off. And I mean, truthfully, at first, I mean, I'm looking at some of my old film stuff. I mean, it was like flowers and shit like that. Well, yeah, we all do that, right? Atypical, you know, atypical (laughs) starter photography. um, I, you know, I mean, but as I got better and started upgrading the gear, not necessarily because of the gear, but just because of constantly shooting, I realized that certain things um, with some of my my older stuff before I went digital is still pretty much where I'm at now mm. in relation to just at least composition and where my eye goes. So that's pretty cool. I've looked through your portfolio. You have a lot of black and white stuff you shoot. Were mm-hmm. you shooting a lot of black and white on film as well? Um, not as much uh, because it was hard to find okay. uh, places to get developed that wasn't you know super expensive. And at the time, I mean, my man, you know. Uh, yeah, you got to buy all that film. 24 you buy exposures it, 24, at a shot, 36, right? 36, you know what I mean? Like, you know, it, I, listen, I remember there were times where um, it took me weeks to get my, you know, my film out. And because I was, you know, on my own for the first time, I wasn't exactly great with money, but even still, I didn't have any money. I, I always remember I used to hate not buying the film, but I used to hate having to pay to have it, it turned dev- into photos. Oh, I dude. used to be like, why am I paying? Now, yeah, I was just much younger at the time. I didn't realize all the work that went into it. I thought, you just unravel it and print the pictures. Be done with it. What's yeah, the big no, deal? No. No, if I was smart. <laughs> Little did I, I know. Yeah, if I was smart, what I should have done was just get a contact sheet and the film developed and then just called it the day and then went mm. back and decided what I wanted to get printed. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, 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 not I. I had to get the double, you know, the double, you know, the uh, double prints and all that extra <laughs> shit, you know, come come in and ready to get my film. 40 bucks and I'm just like, oh, yeah, um, yeah I'm going to have to come back for that. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? And it's just like, oh, shit. And that was, that was, man, that was that was not cheap. That was not cheap at all. So it made you really have to think about what you wanted to shoot and what you were shooting and what you were going to waste your film on. Yeah. Can't spray and pray. Not at all. Uh, <laughs> now, when when did the, the sort of switch from this is a lot of fun to do take place from that to I can make money doing this? Or did somebody approach you and say, shoot my kid's birthday party or my wedding? Or what was how did you how did you move into start taking jobs and exploring? I mean, because you do studio stuff now, whether paid or TF or whatever you're right. doing, you're doing all kinds of different stuff. So where did, that change takes place at some point. Do you remember when that happened? Um, you know, I, I went to school for video production. Okay. So I went to Art Institute for video production and I enjoyed my time there. And it was one of those situations where photography was still always there underlying. I never really did anything with it, like, on any, like, pro level or anything like that, but I was still there. And I distinctly remember um, when I decided to to say, hey, we're going to go ahead and make this. It was hard to try to get production going here in the city mm. for me. And I dealt with the very same things that I still deal You're with. You're talking about video production? Video production. Okay. Um, where, you know, I dealt with more or less people apprehensive about hiring me because of my disability. Yeah, I was going to say, what's that? that's got to be something that you have to tackle. And- it, it, it's, it's always something. You know what I mean? I remember having one guy uh, who did, like, uh, video depositions. And his thing was um, he loved me, he loved my resume, but he was realistic and he was honest with me. He says, the only problem I have is I don't know how you would do it because – some of these doctors' offices are in their attics. And so, and I wouldn't mm. know what the hell I'm hitting until I get there. Right, okay. You know what I mean? And as much as I would love to have hired you, like, this is what, this is what I'm dealing with. And I said, okay. I tried to get a job at, you know, KYW uh, one time, and I don't know, whatever happened with that. Bunham, uh, not Bunham, uh, Bun, uh, what the heck was it? 
another another station it was, in town. It was, it was not another station in town. It was a production company that was actually in okay. town. Okay. Okay. And what they did was, um, what they used to do, they used to do a lot of TLC stuff, like you know, I'm having a baby, I'm getting married. I can't, <laughs> okay. I can't remember what the what, what the name of it, but you know that never fell through. And one of the executive producers there, he actually left the job by the time you know so it was just like person i was so it just was always something and the biggest slap in the face was trying to go out to be you know to do uh production assistant work on a on a on a independent short movie about people with disabilities and the person who was in charge of hiring me was uncomfortable with my disability (laughs) that's kind of are you sure you got the the right guy here yeah it's just like yo it was a movie about people with disabilities but you didn't want to hire somebody with a disability so it's just like the fuck man wow so you know, one of my best friends, um, and you know, out of you know, when, in school, like you know, he always tried to find a way to keep me in a loop with something. So when he had something going on, we had something going on. Very cool. And one of the things he had was um, there was a um, at the time he was living here, a music producer by the name of Simon Iller, and we were working on trying to to do like a reality show for him because he had a a form of dwarfism that kept him in a, you know um, in a power chair. You know what I mean? And he had did an episode of Miami Inc. or something like that, and people were, like, really hitting him up about that. So he thought mm. that might have been a good time. So one of the episodes that we were filming for, he was having a photo shoot. And a photographer by the name of Kelly Teruso had came out to shoot him. And at the time she came, she had her Canon 1D, whatever light she had that was battery-powered. Big flashed. Big flash. <laughs> and we... It, but it was a one light setup and it was simple and it was me, Simon, Godfrey, my, my, my buddy Godfrey, and um, a couple of people that Simon knew all in the photo. And when I saw the end results, I said, well, holy shit. One light. One light. Not only that, but if she could do it, I could do it. Mm. And the thing is, is like. She was stuff, working alone? She was working alone. Okay. But the thing about it, it was it was it was more than just about her. It was it was mostly about her being alone because I felt as though when I was doing video production, I had to have everybody. Yeah, it's a team. You hear everyone say it's a team. It's a team, and a team. if you have a breakdown and you get nothing, and yeah, there are some things that I could do on my own. But at the time, I didn't have the money for a three chip CCD right. camera that would do these things, and you know, this shit was not Remember what it those, is with the, the Canon, the Angular. <laughs> Listen, it was it was a whole nother ball game before everything went super, you know, went digital. Yeah, you know, um, you know, an hour to, you know, you you shot an hour of footage. It was an hour dump. You know what I mean? And then you had to go through that footage to create. Some, it was, yeah. I actually enjoyed the challenge. I still enjoy <laughs> it sometimes, but that was what I was faced with. And at that point, I knew that what I saw her do was where I wanted to be at. That was my standard. And so, as it stands right now, my standard was pretty fucking high. And I thought that if I step, if I kept my standard high, even if I never reached it, I'm still always reaching for it. Mm. And this, what that meant for me was that I'm never resting on the last good thing I think I did. Yeah, I agree. I I think one of the more dangerous things you can do is set low expectations and achieve them. Right. Like it's better to set the high expectations and not quite live up to it because you'll so no. far surpass those low expectations. You do. I, I think the only part, the only bad part about it is that you get down on yourself. Yeah. I'm my own worst enemy with shit. You know what I mean? So it's it's like you know you think about it like oh man I didn't really set you know I, I wanted to do this but I didn't. Yeah. But the fact is is that you're still trying for it. And I think that's important. Is this is the reason why you need to set the bar high so that you don't settle for the last good thing. I mean, I don't know how many times I've gone on social media or someplace else and, you know, this is, you know, kind of assholing of me. But, you know, where you see somebody who's 
less talented than yourself and or another photographer that you know who's doing something or who's got a crap ton of followers, not that followers actually equal money, but, you know, that's just me. Right, you, but get, the, the fact you is, get the big job when you, you look and you're like, but you see the mediocrity, technically better than you. Yeah, but, you know, it, it, it feels like mediocrity is the new good enough. Hmm. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, and, or, you know, and it, it's, it's, it's annoying. It's annoying um, as an artist. It's annoying when, you know, you're, when you're struggling to make a name for yourself and you're striving for these, for this, 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 this expectation that you placed on yourself and to see that, well, what, what, what was I doing? Right. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's like dating a girl, you know, dating somebody and you spend all this money to wine and dine them and do all these things and then they end up with this guy who basically is on somebody's couch. Yeah, right. Like, well, what the hell was I doing all this for? Like, you know, I could have saved some money. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it, I, I don't want to feel like that. And I don't think anybody should feel like that with any craft that they decide to take up on. It's, you should not feel that way. Just keep doing you. Hmm. So I've learned, I've learned that it's best to, tr- to, to try. I'm not going to tell people not to because it's hard. To try not to get caught up in that, yeah. just keep doing what you do, and eventually it will come through. Is I, I remember there was a um, an old blog, and I forget the guy's name now, but there was something on his blog. I think he was a film shooter still, and it was one of the things about uh, people becoming famous and you know or being known for their work. And it was very interesting, and I've always kind of remembered the loose translation of it. Okay, um, and it boiled it boiled down to some people like some people can start. Can be at the, you know, be at the starting, you know, at the start line at the same time, and somebody's going to finish first, you know, finish fast and what you finish, but it doesn't mean that you won't finish. The fact is, that some for some people, it just takes them longer to get there, mm. and that's what I feel like it is for me right now. There's some things that I still feel like I need to do. I was always afraid of failing, so I tried to do everything right, but I needed to fail. And the one thing that you're going to control in a situation like that is the effort you put forth. Right. Right. Like I always hear like football players and they're coming off the field. It's like I can lose the game, but if I know I gave it my all, I can live with it. Like right. it's still it's still is no fun, of course. It's still no fun. But, but but if I at least I can go to my grave, so to speak, or I can go so home and eat dinner. The best and, I can. You right. Know what exactly. I mean? and it's, it's one of those things like uh, um, like Japanese tell their kids and tell you know basically say that you know do your best mm-hmm. because it's like you know not do good, do your best. Because if you did your best and you did good, right? You know what I mean. And so having, and so instead of putting that expectation of that's a cool way to think, you know what I mean? It. Of, yeah. of putting it, it's like, yo, just do your best. Because if yeah. you did your best, you You're should feel good. good about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? You feel good about it. Like, huh. yeah, no, you may not. If if your best, if the best foot you put forward still failed, and you did your best, there's nothing for you to feel bad about. Right. Doesn't mean that you can't do it again. And it may become, you know, right. may, may you get better food. the second time around. Get better but, second time, but around. it won't hurt as much for that first time. Exactly. Okay. So tell me about um, some of the challenges of street photography. Obviously, you're, you know, when you're when you're rolling around, do you do you typically roll up to somebody, ask permission? Do you shoot and never interact? Um, how does that how does that work? So I'm I'm a weird guy in that way. <laughs> well, I knew that, that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that it depends. I'm very circumstantial. Okay. If I'm a voyeur, so for me, if I can get in and get out without being noticed, then that's what I'm going to do. Check it out and on your way. And on my way. If there's something that is absolutely drawing me to a person, then I will cough up the nerve to say, hey, you know, I would love to take your portrait. More people have been okay with it than not. My problem with taking that approach of asking is that there are times when people are kind of relaxed and vulnerable, not in a bad way, that 
they aren't when you now approach. Yeah. They so put on the camera they, smile. They put, a, they put the camera smile on, yeah. and it's like, no, I don't want you doing that. That's right. not what I need. I want you. I want you, and I don't think you realize what I see. You know what I mean? It's the whole adage that goes um, where I say, you know, it used to be there's, like, two people. There's two versions of you, but I think there's, like, three or more hmm. now at this stage. There's the version, There's you know, there's the version that you want to be, the version that you are, and the version that people see you as. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? And, and you know, somewhere in between, there's, you, you know, there's right. really you. Actually, factually. Right. What's I mean, because we don't, you know, we don't, when we're on the inside looking out, we never really see what we, who we are and what we really do to people. Because, again, I'm hard on myself, so I always think, well, what the, you know, why am I doing anything? Why, what am I doing here? Right. You know what I mean? And that's what happened when I started, you know, when I got in, when things took off for me as far as photography is concerned. You know what I mean? And just writing, you know, meeting the right people and quite honestly being humble and being you know, vulnerable and letting yourself say, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. And this is, oh, you know, man, you, you know, this is what you do. I feel for you. You know what I mean? And I, I just remember that. Like, you know, um, with Mike Allabach, you know, he had did a video on me. Tattooed Bride? Yeah. So um, now he's doing like Couples Boudoir, which is actually kind of cool. <laughs> Never kinda, heard of that before. Yeah, I wish I would have did it. He's probably <laughs> making like bank fist over hand. Is he right? still doing the Tattooed Bride thing? He still does it, but like I, I think that like that was the moniker of what he was doing before, so I think he's now transitioning to a lot more portraits. Yeah, I was going to say, it seems like he's been doing weddings for a, a, a he little, was, he little was, bit of time there. But I think that he's making some transitions. I think he still does them, but um, I think the portrait work is starting to really like be a thing. But the couples, the couples boudoir stuff he's doing is... Is actually pretty interesting. Hmm. So you know I me. Mean? So if people you know want to take that, take a look at his stuff. But he had did um you know he had did a video called uh, Fearless Jalil King. Okay. And that was what was um you know um that kind of set things off. And part of that conversation was you know part of the reason for that conversation revolved around um, being okay with telling my story. Okay. You know, so we had... Uh, this Jack, is the video he shot of you. He, he shot a video. Because, see, the thing is, is, you know, people sometimes are um, apprehensive about... Uh, sometimes people are apprehensive about asking me about my, my, my issues. Okay. You know, about why I'm in a wheelchair. What You know, what was the reason for me being in a wheelchair and all this other. Mm-hmm. So some people just won't ask because they think it's just too sensitive of a situation, you know, of a right. story. And that was kind of they my... They just want to be your friend, Jaleel. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, nobody wants to hurt my feelings. And it's just like, yeah, no. You know, I'm I, a big boy. Yeah, I'm a big boy. You know what I mean? I, I, and then the stuff that people thought for why I was in a wheelchair versus the real reason why I'm in a wheelchair. Hmm. Ugh. Yeah, because there could be a million different things that go through someone's mind. Yeah, you know, I had to be doing something wrong, blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, no, just being a kid. Just being a kid. All I was like, oh, this happened to you as a kid? Oh, I didn't think, oh, I thought you may have just been, you know, a bad kid, or you, you know, you were into something and you messed somebody up. Like, <laughs> like, no, but I almost got hit by a train once. That would have yeah, been a story. Yeah, that would have been crazy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> then I, you know, when I hear that, it's like, no, here's a real story. When I was a kid, I climbed over the fence at the Philadelphia airport. You know, that was before security. And I decided to run on a tarmac right as a plane came down and crushed my little back. It was just It was sad. terrible. It was terrible. terrible. <laughs> so I try to find all kinds of crazy stories to kind of alleviate. So this video with Mike Allenbach. Right. How did that come about? Like what was, so, it was all about you being comfortable talking about right. you. So, so Mike. Mike wanted to start doing some other things, and part of the conversation was uh, we had met another photographer up in New Hampshire. Her name 
Yeah, New Hampshire. Make sure I get this right. <laughs> Jacqueline Greenberg. Okay. And she had came to Philly to do a talk for, at the time, um, one of the smug mug groups we have here. I think they changed the, the name. Um, but it was one of the smug mug groups we had here. And, like, she was just super awesome. And me and her just connected and just... We just like it, you know. It's one of those things how you meet somebody and you just didn't know you met like one of your you know best friends. Somehow or another, you were connected. Right. Like it sparks. And it was, it's just one of those relationships. It's just like yo, just a good, genuine human being, and you, your energies just we vibe, vibe, and it just yeah. what it was. So me, her, and Mike all had went out afterwards, and we all got to talking, and she had asked me. And I had told her, it's like, Mike was just like, man, I, I never knew that. That was just like, dude, you never knew? He's like, nah, man, I just, you know, I didn't want to ask. And, you know, I says, oh. he's, and so he had got to talking and he says, dude, like, I think it was like maybe a week or so afterwards, we got to talking. He's like, yo, would you mind, you know, coming and, you know, uh, telling me your story, you know, over some, some, some food. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, you said the magic you, word. You food. had me at food. <laughs> you had me at food. And so, you know, we did the video, and since then, so many amazing things have happened. A great response for the video. It's been, it was a great response to the video. Uh, it's had a, a larger reach than I expected it to have. There's still some people who, who haven't seen it, and I need to probably repost it. Mm. Um but it's uh, it, it it was a very powerful piece, you know what I mean. In that, um, one of the craziest things that I, I got was um, a letter. I got an email a week after the video, like a, like a week after the video came out, and I was shooting a wedding. And I, I didn't even want to open it up, but I opened it up, and it was a guy who basically told me he was about to commit suicide. Oh, like a physical letter you got? No, nah, it was a it was an oh, email. email. It was oh, an okay. email. And, you know, and for some reason or another, the video came up in one of his feeds, hmm. Facebook, Instagram, when I, you know, I mean, uh, Twitter or something like that. Right. And he watched it. And, you know, he's just like, you know, um, however, I think three minutes, 20 seconds saved my life. Hmm. You know what I mean? And it's like. What does that feel like when somebody says something that's like that heavy? I'm not going to lie to you. It's extraordinarily heavy. Um, and it was heavy in a lot of ways because it took a lot of guts for him to write that. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. It took an incredible amount of courage for him to write that. Um, another thing in an odd way goes to the whole thing about what we take for granted. His his hell, like I, like I tell people all the time, listen, your hell is your hell. People look at me and it's like, oh, you know, I look at Jalil and, you know, he's not complaining. Jalil complains mm. in his own way. We all find a way to complain. We, we find a way to complain, you know what I mean? And some things are real and some things aren't. But that doesn't mean that you're, just because it could be bad doesn't mean that your hell is any less, uh, right. you know, any less valid. You know what right. I mean? You know, oh, I stubbed my toe, but Jalil's in a wheelchair. Yeah, but you still stubbed your fucking toe. Yeah, it still hurts. Pain is I mean, so pain relative. It's so relative. It's, yeah. So complain about it now. Don't wallow in it. You know, don't be three years ago. I stubbed my toe, so I'm not doing shit. Like, no, you don't do that. Right. You know what I mean? But do you, do you remember what you said to this guy? Did you respond to him, or was it just something I you did, took it? I did respond to him. Private? Um, yeah. Okay. Um, I did respond to him, and I told him that it took a lot of courage, basically, to do that. And I told him everybody's hell is his own. He had, you know, he had some issues with some back pain, and it was pretty bad. Hmm. You know what I mean? But I think for me... I took from it like all these things that he had going on that I feel like I'm never going to have, and it's just like, dude, 
why would you feel like this when you have so many awesome things? You know, married high school sweetheart, couple of kids. You know, it just felt like, man, that would be like so awesome. You know right. what I mean? You know, and and that goes back to what you said about it just being the lens you look at it through. It, it, it's so relative. Be, it's, it's so relative. You know what I mean? And you know, um, and it, it's it's a matter. It's the same idea of you know, you know, depending on what lens you look through, mm-hmm. depends on how close or how far something is away. Yeah, you know what I mean. So if you're looking at everything with or a wide how, angle, or out of focus, yeah, that. <laughs> that you know, you look at something with a wide angle lens, and of course everything is far. But you go ahead and put that telephoto on, boom, mm. it's nice and close yeah. to you. Now you can see clear. Yeah. So sometimes it's about changing your perspective. You know what I mean? And you know, I'm happy to say that he's still around. I interact with him on social media. Very cool. Um, and a part of me, he may not realize it, but a part of me, when I look, when I'm able to see some of his, some of his feeds makes me happy because there's been in you know situations that man you know i can say man you know what he was there for this <laughs> you know his kid had got hurt at one point in time and it was just great to say you know oh you know dad was there for that right you know what i mean and it's just like dad was there for that and so you know he can feel embarrassed about the notion of wanting to take his own life but the reality of it is he still didn't yeah and he's still there to be able to enjoy those moments and but again, it's all relative. You know, what I mean, you deal with the shit that you, with the, with the cards that you're handed. You know, what I mean, it's the whole reason why I tell people it's like, yeah, I've been given a lot of lemons and I've made a lot of pr- lemon products. <laughs> so you know, what I mean, lemonade, I'm beyond lemonade, lemonade. <laughs> yeah, I'm beyond lemonade. You know, what I mean, I got lemonade, lemon, you know, popsicles, lemon pie, made a lemon you know, cake lemon the other tart, week. lemon cake, lemon frosting. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yo, you know, what I mean, I got, you know, I got some lemon for that salmon if you want. You know, like, come on, like, you know, and. You know, I'm always reminded of my situation. There is nothing that I am ever going to do to not be reminded of my situation. And, you know, I said something to somebody the other, you know, I went to Vegas for WPPI this year. Hmm. And um, one of the projects that I'm working on now is uh, revolves around sex and sexuality and how it relates to people with disabilities. So we're working on a new title of it. So the new title is... I think I'm going to just stick with it because I'm, I'm beginning to like it more. But <laughs> the new title is going to basically um, be uh, uh, People Don't Know How to Fuck. It's Not About Disability. Okay. Well, that gets right to the point, I suppose. It gets right to the point. Whereas the original title was all cerebral mythos and I had all I, I can read it off to <laughs> all you. The like, all the fancy words. They make shit. a good Kickstarter video. Yeah, but. dude. I, I put it, I mean, listen, I was looking up the, looking up the dictionary make sure this was the right <laughs> word and so this shit, like this gets right to the point. So it's just like, yeah, you know what, let's get right to the point. Hmm. But, you know, as I was, as I was talking to her. Who is this? Um, her name is Kara. Okay. I can't remember her last name right off the top of my head. But I was introduced to her through Danielle and okay. um, Kara used to work with the Re- with the Christopher Reeves Foundation. And the thing is, is that, like, you know, everything, you know, you start off slow with everything. And for me, it's like you would think that, you know, oh, I would have a whole bunch of people ready to jump in on this project. And I don't. And some of it is my own fault by not promoting and pushing it more. Um, but at the same time, I have to learn that it's okay to ask for help and I need help. Hmm. I'm so used to doing shit on my own. So what's what's the context of the project so, if somebody so, was interested in being a part of it? So the context of the project is is that like, you know, people with disabilities uh you know, couples boudoir for them? Yeah, more or less it's it's kind of like that. It, it's I did <laughs> okay. a self new for it. Okay. Oh, you is that the me? picture you in the wheelchair with yeah. all the paper crumpled up behind yeah. you? I looked for a second and I was like 
Should I look, or is it bad of me to look? No, it's not <laughs> but bad. But you, you got it on your website, so yeah. It's, listen, uh, I put it. Listen, I put myself out there, man. You know how hard that was. I, you know what I mean? Like I, I don't. I, I'll be honest with you. I don't know that I would have done it. Yeah, I have to be, no. I have to be 100% it was. Honest. Listen, it, it's even harder for me because I think about it hmm. from the standpoint of. You don't want to be that circus animal either, right? No, but you know, I, it, it becomes it comes from a different perspective, though. It's not about that. It's about how you feel about yourself and how you see yourself. I mean, you know, um, I'm I'm not the tallest guy in the world. You know, um, I've got scars. Uh, I feel like you know my body is not in super shape, so I've got you know these man boobs that I'm hoping somebody will love. <laughs> you know, um, and you got to so, have some triceps pushing that wheelchair yeah, around I mean, all the you time. Know, I feel like it's fat. I can stand and turn. turn but see, see what I'm saying when I say I'm hard on myself. Right. See somebody else be like, oh man, you look great. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, and you know, you know what Danielle cares? Oh, we thought you looked good in that photo and i'm just like oh, god damn it where are all the single women who telling me this you know um Why is it always the married women that it's always that? the married women man it's just like damn it you know um but you know i want people to understand like so for me you see me coming because of the wheelchair whereas somebody who you can't see crazy when i was a younger guy and, you know, I was, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if men go on the prowl, but when I was, you know, kind of like, I'm open to the idea of if I bump into the girl, you know, who ends up being the one who I get married to, I'm ready. Right. And there was always a little part of me that was like, it's kind of a numbers game. And, you know, I'm just going to ask enough women, if I spend enough time with enough, you know, girls, eventually I'll find the one. Right. You know what I mean? And I tried, there were a couple that I got too attached to, but... For the most part, I was able to, you know, we got to a point where it's like, ah, you know, this isn't really going to work out. I'm going to find somebody else. But I was able to just take for granted that I'm going to go out and find somebody else. I couldn't imagine what it feels like making, first of all, I would make the approach and, you know, if you shoot me down, fine, I'll ask three other girls and somebody will be cool with me. But the number I would imagine is a little bit more difficult to find the one, right? Oh, it is. When it comes to... You because you have to have some. I mean, you have to have somebody who has that empathy, that has that self awareness that goes beyond themselves. Right. You know what I mean? And and they can see the wheelchair, but you can't see that. Right. You know what I mean? And I mean, I, I'd be lying if I said I never dealt with somebody whose greatness I didn't see because I didn't appreciate it because I'm looking at some other dumb shit. You know what I mean? I think we again. It's that whole taking things for granted situation. We've all mm. been there with somebody who, damn, if I had a do over, I think I probably would have done some things differently. Right. What are you shooting with these days? So to um, make a hard left turn from everything we just covered. Yeah, I know, right? We went like super. <laughs> we went super deep to like let's get back on focus here. <laughs> cameras, cameras, and more cameras. So, so here's so here's my thing. So last year, I had won the Sony Impact Award. Oh, okay. And so with that, Sony uh, was gracious enough to give me a Sony A7R2 and a 24 to 70 G Master. Very cool. And so I shoot with that on occasions. My my go-to for my street photography is destroyed thanks to the Philadelphia Eagles winning the championship, <laughs> which was my Sony RX100. I love that little camera. Oh, man. So easy to take around too, right? It is. It was... And it got destroyed by beer, beer being spent, sp- spilt all over it. Oh, so it's just like just crushing. Better than horse poo, but still, uh, the end result's the same. Yeah, yeah, destroyed. Um, 
But uh, my current go-to realistically is my Fuji X-T2. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. How do you, I, I heard some people talking about the X-T2. Um, I have a buddy who does some wedding photography, and he was telling me that he shot some weddings with the X-T2, and he felt it just, it just didn't have the depth of a DSLR. And I'm not really sure what he meant by that entirely, um, but I would imagine it has a lot to do with the lens you're going to put onto it. Uh, yeah, I would imagine. When, I don't know what, you know, without knowing what glass he's using, yeah. I couldn't tell you. Um, the one thing that I, I've noticed, because I brought the Sony with me today, is that pound for pound, it's it's definitely a lighter solution. Okay. Um, that's kind then of the big. X-T10? Or the X-T2, I'm sorry? You say X-T2? The X-T2 is a lighter solution than a Sony. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Once you start putting glass on it. Right. Okay, that's what I thought you were yeah. saying. Okay. Um, uh, probably the next lightest thing is the Micro Four Thirds stuff by you know mm. Panasonic, yep. Olympus stuff. Um, as far as just pure lightweight, that probably yeah. would be the best thing. Um, if you really, but, but the uh, Fuji, you're getting a nice combination of you got mirrorless, you got lightweight, and you got nice quality. You got nice quality. Uh, for me, for me personally. I love the tech inside of the Sony cameras. Okay. Um, the problem I have is the ergonomics of them. They still need some fine tuning, and I think that like the, is it? Because I've always looked at them; they seem kind of small to me. They they're, they're, they're small, but they don't. It doesn't. It doesn't feel good in your hands necessarily, and I think that they've updated the camera since I've had it. So they've come out with the A7R3, the okay. A9, and now the mm-hmm. A7 III. Yep. Um, but all of those have one thing that my camera lacks, which is a joystick, which makes things infinitely more easy. Yeah. I'm shocked it took them a third iteration to put one on, but you know, I'm pretty sure that would probably help with some of the ergonomics that I'm feeling are missing. Yeah. But the Free menu up the system, thumb. yeah. But the menu systems for the Sony are just atrocious. Like that is just something that absolutely needs to be fixed. Mm. Um, What's the best thing about the Sony? Um, honestly, I think the iFocus is actually pretty good and it actually works even with non-native lenses. So I have a Sigma MC11 so I can still use all my Canon glass on there. Okay. Um, but the MC11, is that the adapter ring? It's an adapter. It's an adapter. So it allows me to use any Canon EF lens on there. So cool. Okay. So, I mean, I, hell, I've even like attached Tamron lenses <laughs> on there just for shits and giggles and it was worked pretty good. Some people said they've had problems. I, I haven't had any issues so no far. No issues. No, not since, especially since upgrade, updating it. I haven't had any issues with it. Um, and there's actually an EF adapter for the uh, Fuji X system, which I plan on getting because I still got my Sony. I mean, my um, my, my Canon glass, mm-hmm. and I don't want to have to reinvest in everything. You yeah, know what I mean, um, not if yeah. I don't have to. Um, but I think by the time the fourth version of the A7 series drops, that's going to be the one that's going to set it all apart. Oh okay. Yeah, the okay. battery life has gotten better with the with the, yep. the series threes now, um, and I think autofocus has gotten slightly better. Uh, so, yeah, Canon and Nikon got to stop sleeping. They got to pick up the pace a little bit. I, you Have know, you lost faith in Canon? Canon, here's the thing. I because I, I, I've talked to Canon reps before, mm-hmm. and the thing about Canon, and, and this is true, while I would. While I, as a consumer, would ideally like to see them uh, be more innovative and take more chances, the thing that Canon does that even Nikon doesn't do is make a camera that actually is reliable. Okay. And when I say that, like, 
you haven't had to see them come out with uh, a 5D Mark 3A because mm-hmm. the 5.3 had some the issues. Back fix the back that, focus yeah, right. some, some mess or another. <laughs> um, and people have issues with them, but I mean, they, they, they're like tanks. Yeah. So while no, they're not like the most innovative thing in the world, they definitely will work. So it's the steady and reliable it's versus steady the and flashy reliable. and the new. Exactly. But hmm. I think that what they did was what they should have done was coming from three to four. They should have done something more. Um, even with the market, they they had chances in between. And the thing is, is the way the market is moving right now. I don't know how long. It's going to take for them to come out with something that's relevant that people are going to like, okay, I trust you again. They came out with the 600EXs, and those were like the best things ever. Beat the hell out of Nikon's uh, flash system. The SB, whatever. Yeah, the, well, the SB system, but the, the speed light system. But Nikon had a really good speed light system where they talked to each other really easily versus Canon system, and it just worked. And um, then they came out with those radio flashes, and it was a wrap. I yeah. loved it. You know what I mean? Only thing I hated was... No need was, for line of sight anymore. No Best need thing for line ever. of sight. The only thing I hated was that they didn't do firmware upgrades to allow some of the older cameras that were relevant to that, take advantage and of. And this is what seems so frustrating to me about what a lot of both Canon and Nikon do. Like, Sony seems willing to use their new cameras just hammer old cameras. Like, yep, that old camera, it really isn't the one you want to buy anymore. Right. Whereas Canon, it's it seems like they forego putting certain features in cameras to make the rest of the line seem more valuable. Or, oh, you got to buy the next camera up to get 4K, let's say. Right. And that kind of stuff, it drives me crazy because it's like you don't open the market more by doing that. You just close your – people are going to look elsewhere, elsewhere for solutions. Well, and, and and that's the thing. I think that's the problem is like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you are recording here with a C100, mm-hmm. and this is the problem is that Canon diversifies so much that they feel as though people are going to not buy XYZ because it does this. Right. Well, the C100 does things that no DSLR is going to be able to do. Right. You know what I mean? Like if you go to pan and shoot with that camera, you're not going to get the jello effect. Yeah, I mean, it's just a whole different ballgame. It's a whole different ballgame. In terms of if you were to pick up and shoot a documentary, I'd much rather have a C1, 2, or 300 and go to war with that than have to, you know, take. And not that a 5D Mark IV is going to be bad or a D810 no, you know or anything like that. that. But you know, you're not using it for fast action stuff where you need to do a lot of panning. Yeah, and, and, it, and even just ergonomics, like holding it all day. Like this has a pistol grip and it's balanced and you feel. I don't know, there's something to it that it's. There's always. It's but that's the thing is like. Bigger, you, it's got they, the built in fan, shoot that C log, get, you know, shoot 4K. I mean, the C100 is not going to do 4K. Right, but, but there's always something that, like. Listen, it's it's you know put in what you're gonna put in and let let the, let let it right let it let it, it go. be what it is. If you got to cut an old camera, cut it. Cut it. Like wouldn't you rather sell a hundred thousand of this one camera than fifty thousand cameras across your entire line, but keep the line intact? Right, and you that's know what I mean? and that's what I you know I mean that's where I'm at. And it's like people are like, well, what would you have liked to have seen? Well, I would have liked to have seen you guys do touchscreen. Oh, but you know pros don't say they want touchscreen. Well, then have an option that you can turn it off. Right. I'd rather have it than not have it mm-hmm. because once people start using something – The funny thing about touchscreen is I didn't think I'd want it until I tried a camera that had it. Right. And then I was like, okay. I don't need touchscreen for everything either. Yeah. Like I just, but it just but makes it's nice to so be there. easy to, to, to be able to go through certain things. And, you know, um, you know and, and that was one of the things. I'm like, well, you know, because I think at the time they – Nikon came out with the D5, I think, that had touchscreen or something like that. And I'm like okay. – and then so I'm like, well, that was kind of a shitty implementation for touchscreen. <laughs> and then Canon announced the 1DX Mark II, and I'm like, 
Well, you did no better than Nikon. Like, I, I kind of expected a little bit more out of you. Well, the pros, it's like, I get the pros, either let them turn it off or just have it there. It's better to have it in there than not right. have it in there. You know, and it was just like, then what was the point in even having it in here to begin with? Right, exactly. you can't access it to go through the menus. It was just, just kind of like silly. Um, and then they really didn't make any any strides with that. You know what I mean? And it's, it's a few things that they didn't make. But this is also why I said, you know, I like my, my Fuji because they have, a, what do they call it, Kaizen? I think it's Kaizen. Okay. The Kaizen familiar. approach is a, is a Japanese word where, where it's it always approving upon. Okay. If I'm not mistaken. If I'm mistaken. So every iteration, get a little better. Get a little bit better. But okay. they do that through firmware. Okay. So, so they can reach out and touch you without having to buy a new camera. Right. You know what I mean? So they're st- I mean, they're literally still pushing out firmware upgrades for even the XT1, mm. which is now, what, going to five years old now, six years? Yeah, I think somewhere I around know. there. Yeah, I don't know the timeline. And um, they're still pushing out firmware updates for that. Wow. So, and if you've ever followed anything that they've done, that they've, you know, so they've improved... Autofocus, they've improved certain functionality within. Now, menus can still stand a little <laughs> bit of tweaking too, but it's nowhere near as bad as Sony's. I think Canon's menu system is the best, personally, which is why I went Canon to begin with when I went full digital. Right. But um, but it's it's amazing to see what you can do, and like you can do in camera uh, edits and stuff like that, and. Connected to the you know Fuji Instax printer, which one of the, which is one of the cool things I like because what I'll do is when I'm on the streets, I'll try to carry the Instax printer with me, and oh, so if I have somebody, Polaroid. I'll print out one and That's give it cool. to somebody. Okay. So if I have the opportunity, because I mean I remember when I, when I used to shoot and I didn't have that opportunity. Yeah. So now I have an opportunity to actually hand somebody. There's something special about being able to hand somebody the photo. Oh man, you know what's so cool is that you know you can even connect that to your phone, and so if you have a Wi-Fi enabled camera, period, you can send a you know you can send a, a JPEG to your phone, you know, do a little quick edit in Snapseed or whatever you know whatever you're Boom, right you to know, Instagram. You know, well, not even then, you can send that from the phone to the printer and send send it out um, to your client. Okay, okay. You know what I mean? People, I I've, I've given that to them, like, oh man, this is so awesome. Thanks. You came out and you helped with the help portrait that we did a number of years ago, mm-hmm. and that was one of the first times where. I had just total strangers, and well, not even one of the first times. It was the first time where you had total strangers coming in off the street. We shot some photos of them, and we had printers set up, and we're just running off portraits of people. Right, and it was so cool. Absolutely, but then so you neat. see all those people's faces when they got their photo. Yeah, and some people would never. It was like you've never some seen a picture. Of never seen before. a picture of themselves, or yeah. haven't seen one of themselves in twenty years. I love yeah. help portrait. Yeah, it was very cool for that reason alone. Yeah. So, so moving along. There's this podcast called Hot Ones, and they, they do an Instagram deep dive with the guests where they bring out this laptop and look through it. But I thought, you know what? We're designers and photographers. We can oh print. <laughs> we can print images that are interesting on your Instagram. And I just want to go through a couple of these. So okay. talk to me about this. I thought this is such an interesting photo where you're, you're in the Mandalay Bay. Right. We all know what happened a few months ago, October. With the shooting, was it what? only was it only October? I'm pretty sure it was the beginning of October, oh. 2017. Shooting wow. at the country concert. What does it feel like standing there? Is it goosebumps? I couldn't even imagine. You know, it, it, it's crazy. So, you know, this is when I went to WPBI, and I went there on a on a, on a song and a prayer, of course. <laughs> so, you know, I, I had no place to stay until the morning, and my friend Tamara Lackey was 
Oh, awesome okay. enough. Very cool. Yeah, I know who she is. I don't know her personally, but yeah. I know who she is. She was a, she was an awesome person. She she's a, she's actually a very beautiful person. I mean, just I don't know where she gets the energy from, but she's a, she's absolutely awesome. So she allowed me to crash on the couch uh, for a little bit, and um, when I looked out the window, this was what I saw, and I'm like, yo, this is so crazy. This is surreal to me to see that this was especially after the whole you know school shooting in Florida, mm-hmm. Parkland. You know what I mean? To see that and then to see this and it's just like, man, this just brings it home because like I didn't put on I didn't put it up on on Instagram, but I put it on Facebook, uh, an x-ray of my body mm-hmm. and you can still see all the, the buckshot and the rods in my back from my scoliosis trying to be corrected and stuff. And so when I look at this kind of stuff, it's just like, yo, I look down on this and I still say, you know, we haven't done shit. So you're angry when you see that. I'm 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 angry mostly because it's like I'm not anti-gun mm-hmm. despite everything I've gone through. Right. But I've come to realize that having a right comes with a lot of responsibility and the word responsibility is a lot larger than anything when it comes to a right. You have the right to free speech, but it comes with a responsibility, one in which you can get in trouble for. And we don't quite have that same weight applied to one that can kill on a whim. Hmm. And that's what people don't understand. It's like I get the idea of wanting to protect oneself and one's family, but how many times have that has that gone wrong more than it has it gone right? It's gone right a lot. Um, I think the statistic is that several million times a year a gun is used to defend people. I, 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 I think that... People, what what's not talked about is how many times kids find guns mm-hmm. and accidentally shoot themselves or shoot. Yeah, there was my my mother grew up in Long Island, New York, and there was a kid down the block right. playing with a rifle in the parents' attic um, and shot and killed his his friend. Right. How many times somebody has an argument with a spouse and they use the gun? So we're talking about legal. I'm talking about legal. This still comes with a responsibility, and I'm not. Anti- it's. A, it's. A, I understand what you're saying. It's a very tough rope to walk, because I'm. I'm a very like I love history. I'm right. A very historical kind of guy, and I am super uncomfortable with the idea when I look around historically speaking, what happens to countries and peoples when they're disarmed, and that's what scares me. But not really scares me, but it, it it leaves me with room for concern. So so here's here here's where my here's where my this, this is where my ideals start coming into play with, when I hear statements like that. Mostly because it's like if, you, if we believe in democracy in this country and we believe that, this, that the government is for the people of the people, then mm-hmm. we the people ought to take control of our government. And if we keep electing people who make us scared of the government, that's a problem. We should not fear our government. Our government is of us. I agree. I, if I, we allow it, though, if, but if we allow that, then of course in those kinds of situations can happen. And I'm not talking about unarming people, but I think that there ought to be things that happen. There definitely needs to be more accountability. Right. I 100% agree yeah, with no, you. That's what there, I'm, ta- there I'm talking about. There needs to be a accountability. lot more accountability. You can't even drive a damn car without a license. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yo, think about all the things that, you, that, we, that, that aren't necessarily rights that we have to go through hoops for. That you don't have to do for these kinds of situations. That man had an arsenal in that hotel room. And there was not one person who thought, mm, you know, maybe him buying, you know, 100,000 rounds or whatever it was 
was not a problem or him having, you know, seen it that once you get to five guns or, you know, five specific types of weapons that doesn't like kind of trigger, well, listen, you can buy this, but you'll have to go talk to, you know, you'll have to go through an extra screening because you've bought, you know, you've already bought four this year. Right. Like, like there's little things that just feel like, all right, yeah, we can figure out a way to make things come together. Well, you know, the cops have been called to your home 30 times. And, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, so you need to go talk to a Well, police. there already is class three weaponry. Like, if you want to buy something that's fully automatic, for right. real, you got to, I think you, you got to get a, like, you gotta a, be like fingerprint a military, with the sheriff. Yeah, you got to be, you, you got to be military. You got to be police. It, this, but you got to jump through a lot of, of hoops. Like, Today's technology. But you're talking about making something more difficult for the standard stuff, right? Because it, it, because no matter what, any of this stuff can be transformed. Hmm. We live in a technology age where you're now printing this kinds of stuff. I mean, people can print guns. Literally. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've seen them. You know, not, I mean? not in person. I've yeah, seen but videos, you know, so. I mean, listen, I, I, I'm not anti, but you know, I, I'm. I, listen, we we had this conversation about how silly people are, and how savage people are. So yeah, people say guns don't kill people. People kill people. Yeah, people kill people with guns. So it's an, it's an art, you know what I mean? And yeah, people used to kill people with knives, but people stood a better chance. Hmm. You know what I mean? And and I'm not, again, I'm not, I, I get why some people want it, you know what I mean? But it, it, it there's just a huge, huge responsibility that if you're not prepared mentally, you come out and you can make a mistake. Yeah, I yeah, I agree. I mean, there's there's a lot to it. I'm very, I'm very... It just to give my position, I'm very anti-gun control in general. Right. And it's not – and it's not – like I, I hear what you're saying in terms of like you want to buy five rifles in a year. You know, why? Why do you want to do that? I still think though like the principle in and of itself, there's no principle that's violated. And, I've, and that's where it's, it's difficult and I'd have to sit and think about it in terms of, you know, principally what's the difference between buying 5,000 rounds and 100,000, right? right? When you get to that point, well, you know, yeah. should you limit it at 20, Right. And, that, and like, where, where's the limit that's fair? And, and what's, what's the, morally speaking, where's the right? Because I personally, I think taking away the ability for one to defend themselves is morally indefensible. Right. And, and I know, and I've had friends and things. I try not to argue about it, to be honest no, with you. It, but you I've had friends. have a rational conversation about yeah, it. Yeah, no, I agree. A hundred percent. I agree with you. Um, there's kind of the, what are you going to do if the government wants to come in with tanks anyway? Yada, yada, yada. Right. But we've, we've, haven't we been in Afghanistan for yeah, 13 we're, we're, years? We're trying to take right? it to another, that, it's that, it's that, it's that <laughs> rabbit hole I talked anyway, about. Anyway. So I just thought this was a really interesting yeah, photo. No, but I thought it, it was it, interesting. But it's, and, it's, 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 it's just crazy to just to see that and like, it's in full view. Like mm. there's nothing there, and it's just, it's painful to think. Is all I'm saying. It's the lives that, lost. The is lives lost. Horrible. It's horrible. Horrible. And, and even affected because, like you know, like your life wasn't lost. No. And but there's somebody who may have very well ended up in a wheelchair too. Right. Exactly. I would or, say 500 wounded or something. Was it was some, some huge, crazy some, number. It, outrageous, man. Can't just, even imagine. Can't. Talk to me about this photo. Let's move on. This, is, I think, was PPI last year. Yeah. Do you oh, actually, it was a couple years ago because I, is... I, I, I didn't wait. Was that 2017? Oh, yeah, I did. I cut my hair down. <laughs> I had to remember, you know, yeah. grew it yeah. back. You look like, almost like, a, I don't know, is it Jerry Gionis, yeah, right? Yeah, Jerry so Gionis, yeah. Do you, do you guys rub shoulders? I've seen you reference him a few times. Yeah, do you, he's a do friend you, of you mine. You keep in touch with him? Yeah. Yeah, what's he like? Honestly, he's another beautiful human being. You know, um, him and Melissa just... I, 
you know, I met them the first year. I, I met Jerry beforehand, like just in passing kind of situation. But my first year going to WPPI was kind of that year where hmm. I'm now kind of going through some doors, you know, just being, you know, honest about it. And I got to kind of hang out with Jerry and Melissa and um, Jason Group at the time, who was in charge of WPPI that first year. That first year I was there it was this first year. And I just got to sit there and we talked. And I mean, like, it was just interesting. It wasn't about, you know, gear and all this. Like, we just kind of talked and I just loved them. Like, just their story, just amazing people. And, like, if you ever met Jerry and Melissa, never just met him. Most never met either of them. Genuine people you could ever very imagine. down to earth, very down to earth, very open. So if you have questions, Jerry will sit there, and if he has the time, he will break things down for you. And like, just genuinely a good person. And then like you know, and just to see the way him and his wife react to each other, and how he, you know, he just wants the best for people. And I mm-hmm. think that's the best thing to kind of very cool. Just very good person. Yeah, yeah. So anytime he sees me, he likes rubbing my hand. <laughs> but he's just a good dude. I love him. That's super cool. All right, tell me about this. I I believe I was over at your house a number ah. of a number of years ago, and I met a guy who was hanging out at your place who was putting on this event over in Australia. Can you tell me about this? Oh, is this is Australia? Meet, yeah, yeah. You did meet Matt. Yeah. I met him very briefly. What's the deal with it? I I had done some research. Well, t- first tell me about the conference. And and Matt and his wife and so so the conference was called Zero Regrets and um, at the time um, Matt's wife Katie uh, was involved in an automobile accident and she nearly lost her life and she had some issues uh, post you know post accident you know with, with recovery and they he thought that you know if anything had happened to her or rather she had had a conversation with with Matt that if anything, if today was like her last day that she would have zero regrets. And so they called the conference zero regrets. And so that's basically what that was. It was kind of a conference for photographers to kind of get in touch with who they are and why they do what they do. Down under. Down under. You know what I mean? Down under. (laughs) So, and it was just like, yo, it, it was just for you to connect with who you are and what you do and why you do what you do. And, it wasn't about, you know, your camera settings. It was very interpersonal kind of stuff mm. going on and, and connecting with people. And it was just an amazing group of individuals there. Jeremy Coward was there, right? Jeremy Coward was there. Jeremy Coward was, uh, he was beast mode because I think he came in for like a day and then flew back. <laughs> so Spend more time on, in the air than on the ground. Yeah, more or less. So he, I think he slept, I think he slept one day and then was flying back out wow. to, uh, I think it was L.A. or something. Like he had a shoot or something like that. I was like, dude, you came out here for that? He was like, yeah, man. You know, anything for Matt and Katie? I was like, oh, my God. That's pretty cool. that was brutal. I was out there for a little bit. Did you like, you gave a talk, right? Mm-hmm. And what, what, what kind of stuff did you go over? Was it just your story? Yeah, and... so it was my story. It was kind of like more or less kind of like how we were talking now. So Without the sexual like, stuff. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> you hadn't started the project yet, I guess. Yeah, I hadn't what year was it? Was it 2015, 2016? Uh, 2015, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. So you gave a talk? Yeah, so I gave a talk, and, um, you know, it it was one of these things where I I go through these moments where I have self-doubt, because I'm asking myself, why am I here? Because, I I mean, honestly, Nathaniel, I I don't know what I do. The search for purpose. Search for purpose, you know what I mean? And, you know, so when you have people, you know, inviting you someplace, especially like Australia, it's just like, wow, this is such an amazing thing. 
And the cool thing that, you know, my buddy Tim King said, you know, I think it was either Tim King or James Day said, can you believe photography got us here? <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I go up here, you know, and I'm, I'm with, you know, people like James Day, um, Tim King, um, Lenny and Eric and Man Two Man Studio. Uh, and I'm asking myself, what am I doing here? You know, I'm this black kid from the ghetto, more or less, from the, you know, from the projects. And it's like, how did I get here? Yeah, I wouldn't have picked this out at eight years old. No, I wouldn't have picked this out ever. I've always wanted to go to Australia, <laughs> but, you know, I never would have imagined that I would be here with, like, so many amazing people. You know what I mean? And then come away with new family, you know what mm. I mean? Yeah. Uh, who were just absolute legend, you know what I mean? And, like, you know, me and James Day are still super tight. You know, Lenny and Erica amazing people like yo these are people i still talk to and you know um and i'm happy for yeah so you know that's cool and just being able to spend time with people that you look up to and you know ways that you don't you know think about it like you know i mean spending time with jeremy coward you know and stuff like that yeah it was couldn't ask for a better situation and look at this they they my little fat ass up and put me in the air treated you like a king treated me like a king man (laughs) that's so cool so what kind of stuff are you doing these days like what what are you up to what are you shooting what are you pursuing so i'm trying to get better at everything a little bit of the what was it called the japanese yeah kenzai kenzai yeah a little bit of that going on in your life um and so right now i think i'm taking myself back to the basics in a lot of ways where um, I'm working on lighting a lot more because, you know, I used to, you know, I, I had um, helped launch Profoto B2s. I saw that, yeah. And um, that was awesome. So I still work with Profoto um, and an amazing company. They've been nothing but amazing to me. So, you know, coming out of everything, that was the first company that I've really worked with. Very cool. So, you know, it's like, oh, wow. And, yeah. you know, to be Profoto. Able to, yeah, Profoto. <laughs> and, um, but it's been nothing but a good thing. And honestly, you know I mean? I, the B2 system has been good. I'm not, you know, people pick what they want. I'm not, you know, but for me, it's been very liberating, especially being able to be mobile with the, you know, mm. with a lighting solution. Hook it up to the wheelchair. Right. You know what I mean? Because, you know, I had that, that alien B that I had hooked up. And, yeah, with the counterweight and it was all Yeah, that was, um, that was dangerous. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what. I, you look like you're driving around with a crane. Listen, it, that's exactly what <laughs> hey, it was. Hey, but it got the job done, was didn't mobile, it? it was, listen, <laughs> it got the job done some of the time and, you know, and then I got hooked into a tree one time oh, and then yeah. I realized I couldn't um, I couldn't hop curbs with it because I would be like to fall back yeah. no bounce man I'm, oh. I'm worried I'm going to fall backwards okay okay you know I see what you're saying um, you know, I'm, not, gotta, I'm not expert with wheelchairs yeah, I, gotta, I have to I be honest with you I gotta pick and choose the directions <laughs> so you're limiting listen, an already man, limited situation you know, even more listen I didn't I, I was asking for it but it was fun trying to set that thing up <laughs> uh, so it 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 took a it it, it, it took a it 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 definitely helped out a lot. Hmm. And so that was a lot of fun. Um, so now I'm just trying to become more consistent with my lighting situations. Um, studio stuff, all studio location stuff, stuff. Studio stuff and then also uh, location stuff. Okay. So I'm working, you know, trying to do a little bit better job with um, working with friends who are also still in that mindset of wanting to kind of improve yeah. um, so that we go out and shoot and try to get more. So cool. uh, in line with, you know, commercial style work, because uh, that's what I would like to hope. But I think I would like to do more portrait work as well, um, you know, because uh, I had saw uh, Mark Selinger. OK, I've heard of him. And he he's did a lot with Rolling Stone stuff. OK. And, yeah, I was um, going to say the name is really ringing a bell, but I'm not I'm not yeah, bringing he, up a picture of his in my mind. 
a lot of the Rolling Stone covers and things okay. like that. Okay. But he he was a keynote speaker at one of the WPPIs, and I never heard of him until then. You know, I mean, I'm self taught, so yeah. You know, it's, you know I, I don't really read Rolling Stone magazine either, so <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, but I do look at their covers, yeah. <laughs> and um, and it was it was his work is really good, and it was some things that he's done that I enjoyed, and, hmm. and there's a few other photographers that um um. Martin, uh, oh God, I can't get his last name. Martin, oh, I can't get his name. Martin right. something or other, we can call yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, Martin. I'm going to get, I'm going to get, I'm going to get lamp. I'm going to get lampoon for this one. <laughs> but his work is, his portrait work as well. So okay. some of the more, some of the more, I, I want to say some of the more celebrity portrait photographers, but I don't care about being able to do celebrity work as much as just being able to give that kind of quality. Well, and you got in that position right. for a reason. Right. And so I just want to be more consistent. And I think mm. that's the important thing is being consistent and also honing your craft, yeah. knowing what you can and cannot do, what works and what doesn't work. I got into a point where I became too comfortable with shooting everything wide open and I have to not be that comfortable. Yeah. So, you know, changing my gear up to making sure that I understand why I'm doing what when I'm doing. When you see the sharpness change from F1.8 to F5.6, you wonder why you didn't start shooting an F5.6 yeah, early. <laughs> it's not even a sharpness, man. It's, it's, it's you know, you got, I, I got comfortable with high speed sync. And so I can shoot at 1.8 and things, everything is pretty damn sharp. And Yikes. You know what I mean? Like, yo, you'd be surprised, man. You're when playing you on this. a knife's edge like that, Jaleel. Oh, man, but it's so fun. It's so fun. And, you know, but you see some of this stuff. But then what ended up happening is I realized I like a lot more um, dramatic images mm. with the way shadows and stuff play. And I wasn't getting that. Shadows are where it Shadows yeah. is where it's happening. And then not until I started going down to five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, 13. Like, yeah, 13. <laughs> it's like, oh, now I see what the hell I was doing wrong. So, yeah. again, you know, making those good mistakes all over again. Hmm. And I've done that, and I've come up with some pretty good stuff, I like to think. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. That I've shot, you know, um, more recently that would be that kind of thing. I so, enjoy your work, man. So I enjoy the you, stuff man. you do. I appreciate and it's, it. And it's, it's always been inspiring to me where it's, you know, like – you're going to complain about what? Jaleel's out there shooting this, and you're going to complain about what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, in fact, I met, I met you. I was doing a portrait shoot over on Spring Garden yeah. Street. and I came And I just you. saw you bumping up in the wheelchair, and we just, just hit it off, just like, it right, off. right like, out the gate. Man, what are you shooting? I remember that day, too, man. <laughs> that was 2011. I, yeah, I was, I was out there with a buddy of mine, and we were out there shooting, um, shooting the traffic. Yeah. Do some slow it's, nice, it's a nice little spot. Yeah. yeah, the bridge moves a little too much for uh, me. If yeah, you don't that try was, yeah, no, that that bridge. I didn't realize it it bounced that much. That yeah. that thing is crazy. Cool, man. I appreciate you being here, dude. I really do. I, I I I appreciate what you do. I appreciate who you are. I appreciate you taking the time to come out and talk to me. Um, and yeah, not a problem. It. I mean, you know, just just remember, like, you know, I think one of the things, just you know, real quick, one of the things I wanted to say, you know, that when I was talking to Karen Danielle was just that. I'm always reminded of being in a wheelchair because every day, every every night, every night I go to bed, I got to get out of a wheelchair. And every morning when I wake up, gotta I got to get back into it. So there's nothing that ever stops that. But I define me. And that's what I want people to understand is that you define you. You know, your story doesn't have to have a, a bad ending. It can be what you want it. So you can make the best of a situation or you can make the best of a situation. Hence me making a whole lot of lemonade. <laughs> Cool, man. I appreciate it. All right, we're going to wrap this one up. Guys, thanks for watching. We'll catch you in the next one. Cool, dude. Hey, before you go, thanks for checking out my podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe to the show using your Apple Podcasts app. 
While you're there, I would love it if you would give this podcast an honest review. The ratings and reviews are really cool to see. If you don't think the show is worth five stars, well, let's just pretend it is. Don't forget, new podcasts arrive every Friday at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time with an occasional surprise show on Tuesdays. Until next time, this was The Dodcast.